Welcome to the 34th episode of the Promo Guy podcast. Today is Wednesday, December 13th. You'll be listening to this Thursday, December 14th at the earliest. As always, I'm joined from, with, by Nick from Blue Doc Media. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited for today's episode. I feel like we've got a lot of things to debate. We've got a lot of good conversations in store. Um, how are you? Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm excited as well. Uh, the prep meeting uh, led to definitely some interesting things, and Sports World is helping us out by having interesting things to talk about. So uh, let's get into it. Um, so we'll do the state of the stack. How have things been going? Yeah, hit me. So Twitter is up about $100 on the week. So, you know, just kind of steadily moving along. We had an unfortunate beat with Jokic getting ejected yesterday, which potentially cost us some money, but, you know, everything's been good. The Discord, everything's been great, except we had our first real losing. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if we had like a small down at some point, but we had our first real losing uh, weekend for uh, the higher tier SGPs. It's been a phenomenal run for them, uh, as I've sort of documented here, but we did end up down about three units from football weekend. So that was unfortunate. We're down to 46.58 units, uh, hoping to get back over 50 uh, by the end of the year. But more importantly, just, you know, string together some good days like we've had, honestly, for the last three months. But yes, everything else did well. Let's see. We had uh, MGM did well. ESPN had a few hits in a row. And then Camby, or Bet Rivers, has been the kind of the, in my opinion, the big winner, the parlay insurances have done very well. We, we, we had several free bets hit from those, those NBA and college basketball parlay insurances have net done very, very well now. But yeah, everything's chugging along. We just got to hit some as, you know, higher tier officials this weekend. Love to hear that. And so we don't have a, a gambling landscape update. So I think we just jump right into our big thought today. And that should lead to you making people a little bit more money and helping people understand a little bit more of your process. So today we're going to be same game parlay de-vigging um, and kind of talking about which books have the same, the best same game parlays. So take it away. Uh, I, I have a few questions that I'm curious about, um, but I feel like we're better off if you get us going and I'll just chime in with a few questions here and there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is going to be more about where should you you be avoiding where to play SGPs. SGPs in general have a lot of VIG, and that's because the way a normal parlay works is, so let's say you have a minus 110 line, right? 11 pays 10, and then you parlay it with another 11 pays 10. So that VIG, that 11 pays 10 instead of 10 pays 10, gets multiplied in a parlay. And so a normal parlay would be plus 264. For two minus one ten lines, and the more legs you add, the more that big multiplies. So, the more negative EV a just regular parlay becomes, the more legs you have to it. Now, if you have plus EV lines, then the more you multiply them, the more positive EV uh, that play can become. So, always with a parlay, it's it's really just about how good the individual legs are. Now, an SGP is different, same game parlay, and that's because you have two legs, but they're in the same game, and oftentimes those bets will be related. So, for example, uh, how many threes Duncan Robinson hits and how many points he scores in a game? Those are going to be heavily, heavily correlated. 
especially I just thought of like the most correlated bet I could think of, especially for a guy like Duncan Robinson, who has a large percentage of their points come from three. So if you if each of the lines, his points line and his threes line was minus 110, you wouldn't get anywhere close to plus 264 because of the positive correlation. Now you'd get much better than plus 264 if you took his over points and unders threes, for example, because of the negative correlation that, that exists there. So it's not as straightforward as a parlay, but we could still see via four-way DVIGs uh, how much VIG there is in a given SGP uh, by the various books. And why is it not just whatever their correlation coefficient is, like whatever they put in for the correlation, and then you multiply the lines? Well, some books are a lot closer to that, but some charge for the uncertainty of correlation. What does that mean? That means that while if you took a, a regular parlay of, you know, over, over, under, under, over, under, under, over, uh, you would get just a bunch of minus plus 264 lines, and that would be your total VIG. In an SGP, ideally, it would add up the same way to the same amount of VIG if you did that same four-way thing. But because books are maybe a little bit more scared, maybe they think they can get away with it, of what that correlation should be, let's say, between Duncan Robinson's points and his threes, they may charge extra vague on top of it. So I'm writing an article uh, for Pickett that sort of goes into who tends to have the highest vig on SGPs. And there are a bunch of different criteria I'm using because sometimes, for example, DraftKings will have a reasonable vig for like a standard SGP. But then if you start doing like alt lines, they make it terrible for whatever reason. Like a lot of these have quirks or, or can be, who doesn't let you SGP unders, stuff like that, like SGP unders with themselves. So you couldn't take Draymond under rebounds, Draymond under assists, for example, as an SGP. So limited options is something I'm factoring in and I'll have the full rankings up on Picket, but I kind of wanted to go into my process and what it all means. So in my opinion, if you have two play uh, two picks in the same game that are basically unrelated it should be very close to just multiplying those underlying lines so what does that mean that means that if if i have let's say duncan robinson over points you know i'm going to do it even i'm, I'm pulling up the 76ers piston game if i take joel Embiid over points and his points over is at minus 110 and then i look at rebounds and what's going to be the least related line Let's say we want to take a Sar Thompson rebound. That's pretty unrelated to Joel Embiid points. Maybe there's a minutes correlation thing, but uh, so I'm going to do it. So if I take the over rebounds at plus 104 and the over points at minus 110, I should get somewhere around plus 290, let's say, plus 292. I get plus 259 instead. And then if I take Joel beats over points and then the under rebounds at minus 128, I get plus 202. And then you could just do, okay, under points for Embiid, over rebounds for Thompson, and then under points for Embiid, under rebounds for Thompson. Then you'd have every single possibility and you just see how much VIG there is. I personally have the belief that that should add up pretty close to the plus 264 four times method because those are pretty unrelated things. And for FanDuel to be charging you, for correlation of two basically uncorrelated events, I think is wrong. 
right? They should treat it like a regular parlay in that case. Now, I understand if they want to charge a little bit extra VIG for Joel Embiid over points, Joel Embiid over threes, let's say, even though it's honestly very easy to figure out what that correlation should be. Let's say it's a little bit more uncertain. They're very correlated. Is it very correlated or is it very, very correlated kind of conversation? So that's how I'm going to determine this. Uh, I'm going to factor in things like MGM has a lot more options, which I think is cool. Opening yourself up to uh, more possibilities for SGP, I think helps them. I think it helps the customer get like exactly what they're looking for. And I also think that not charging for safe legs is something that's important in all this. So what does that mean? Like Joel Embiid over points. If I wanted to SGP that with, let's say, the alt total in the game. So over 208.5, which is minus 4,000. Fanduel doesn't even let you do that. But if I do that on Fanduel, or let's do it with his over rebounds. Say over six rebounds, over five and a half rebounds. Joel Embiid, over 33.5 points is minus 110. If I SGP it with Joel Embiid to get six plus rebounds, which is minus 5,000, so it should come out to uh, minus 105, let's say. But instead, it comes out to minus 115, which is worse than the Joel Embiid price to begin with. That is something I think is wrong. Why, because it's an SGP, am I getting a worse price? It is possible that Joel Embiid gets 34 points and five rebounds. Does it happen often? Of course not. But why am I getting a worse price than the minus 110? That should never happen, and you lose a lot of points with me for doing that. So things like that are things I'll consider, right? My guess is this is how the rankings will end up. I'm curious to see if it ends up consistent. I believe I will end up having MGM1. I think I'll have Cam B2. I think I'll have Bet365 third. It is possible they do better than that. I think I'll have DraftKings fourth, and I think I'll have FanDuel fifth. DraftKings loses a lot of... DraftKings VIG is pretty high. And I wrote an article before when I was doing the best books about the different SGP VIG of each. So I do have an idea of what this is going to come out to be. MGM was a little bit less than Cam B. Both I thought were very reasonable. I felt that then DraftKings was the next best or worst. Bet 365, sorry, was in that group with Canby and, um, and MGM. And then DraftKings came up next. One thing that really hurts with them, they don't charge for the safe flags for the most part. That, but anytime you use like an alt line or yeah, basically any alt line, they make it really bad. I don't know why. I think it's really stupid. And in a way that kind of is charging uh, extra, but they don't they don't explicitly charge for safe legs and they, they basically keep it the same. Their their VIG isn't horribly egregious, but it's it's worse. It's worse than Canby, it's worse than Bet365, it's worse than MGM, it's better than FanDuel. FanDuel is better with the alt stuff, just in terms of like like Joel Embiid alt points, rebounds, and assists if you took like a minus 2,000 line or even like a minus 300 line on DraftKings and you SGP'd it with something, the VIG would, would add up very, like they, they would end up charging a lot for that. FanDuel's a little bit better with that where they treat their alt lines similar to their main lines, but they treat their main lines like absolute dog shit. One place I'm forgetting that actually is probably number one, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that I forgot, is Caesar slash ESPN. They, they use the same SGP provider. I think their VIG is completely reasonable. 
Uh, I think that they don't really like they don't really charge for correlation, which is which is nice. You know, having confidence in your lines with a ton of vig, like parlays are known for having high vig, but not egregiously going up on top of that is nice. They don't have as many options as MGM, but I do think that ESPN particularly, just because of how many lines ESPN has, is very good. So I'll be curious to see which of those ends up at number one. But FanDuel and DraftKings, kind of embarrassingly, because they're really the two leaders in the market, are definitely at the bottom for SGPs. I think that the honest, sad conversation is that they believe that, um, you know, people are going to SGP no matter what. You get these like 10 legs, stupid parlays sgps that you always see like as like the suggested bets uh, on both of their apps and i think they just think they can get away with murder and it's uh it'll be interesting to see uh, that that's kind of my thought process the article the other thing hurting fanduel and will hurt caesars as well so maybe i will differentiate between caesars and espn i'm assuming espn is over that horrible rule they had before with the push legs but Again, we talked about it since I think episode one of this podcast. The way FanDuel and Caesars treat give you the same odds for a minus three as they do for a, a minus two and a half, but the rules are against you, definitely is going to hurt. Like having bad SGP rules definitely going to hurt. So I've started the article, but obviously I have a lot more work to do. Uh, and I'm excited for you all to read it. But uh, a lot's going to go into it. I do think that FanDuel and DraftKings will end up at the bottom. I think that. ESPN, Caesars, which are the same, MGM, Canby will all end up at the top. And I think that they're all reasonable in terms of the VIG. Like, again, I'm just looking for VIG similar to parlays. And I even understand if you want to charge a tiny bit for the uncertainty of correlation. But you can't make it where you're charging an incredible amount for correlation when correlations are very known. And not to mention that, like, a lot of these—I mean, a lot of these aren't even correlated events. They should be treated just like parlays when you're talking about Joel Embiid points and Asar Thompson rebounds. Like, there might be a little bit of correlation there, like, and you can put it in if you'd like and skew your odds and even make it so it's plus two fifty-eight on the four-way. But you can't have it where it's—I mean, we're talking plus two fifty-nine, which is then plus 202, plus 217, and then plus 231. And like, that is gross. You're talking about, you know, an average around, uh, I don't know, plus 230, plus 240. Like, that makes no sense when it should be plus 264. We don't even, there's only one version of this that even comes close to that. While you have options that are down at plus 202, plus 217. Yeah, the average is definitely lower than what I said. But, well, because you have, what, 231. 259, then 240, then 210. So we're talking about like plus 225 average-ish. That's, ter- that, that's plus 225 when it should be plus 264. And then they're like, oh, but we'll give you a 25% boost. Like, great. You're just, it doesn't get me very far. And yeah, of course, like I can find ways to make most of these boosts work. But I do think that especially FanDuel's SGP, is, it's, just, it's just insane. So uh, I'm looking forward to you guys reading the article, and that'll be out in the next few days. You just made that sound like that's just Black Friday shopping all over again, where it's the, their, uh, the price of something should be 
$500 and instead of uh, taking the 30% off, they bump it up to $800, take 30% off and say, here you go. It's only $500. Uh, yes, except the sad thing is they didn't, they're not doing it for the prompt. Like they do, they have these prices all the time. I'm literally just clicking random buttons in the 76ers Pistons game and I'm getting like, you know, plus 225 or whatever it is averages. Uh, I think that that, you know, kind of, oh, uh, I had that math wrong, but whatever. I, I forgot what the four legs were now, but, but I think it still speaks volumes that you're, that you're so far behind that plus 264 number where it should be. And I know that if I go to other places and I do the same exact thing, I'm going to get a lot closer to it. But did you have any other questions while I go search Caesars for the same thing? So when you're doing your process daily to find the best value across books, are you just taking the same play and plugging it in places or you know the places that you should be looking for certain plays just because you know that on DraftKings, they give better value uh, for XYZ type of plays where they don't correlate as heavily. So here are here are the, the four lines on Caesars. So if you recall, the over over was plus 259. On Caesars, it's plus 310. The over-under, I believe, was plus 202. It's plus 212 on Caesars. So much better for the first, a little bit better for the second. The double-unders was plus 217. It's plus 222 uh, on Caesars. So a little bit better. And then under-over was plus 231. We're getting plus 270. So one of these lives was over... 300. Another one also was over the plus 264 line. And then two were below. One was 212 and one was 222. But that's going to average out to a lot closer to that plus 264 number that we were that we were discussing. And that's how you're supposed to treat an SGP, especially with legs that are relatively uncorrelated. And you can see how important it is to shop lines on your SGPs. And honestly, how uh, criminal is not the right word, but how egregious it is. Like Fandu would never put up minus 130 lines on both sides, but that's kind of what they're doing. That's kind of what they're doing. Are, aren't most of these, when you're doing same game parlays, aren't a lot of them like one side lines only, especially when you're doing alt lines? With the alt lines, yeah, sure. But w what I'm saying is like, they're displaying minus 110 for Joel Embiid, and you can bet 11, 2, and 10. But if you want to SGP him with anything, it's as if that line turned into, you know, whatever it is, minus 125, let's say. They would never offer that as their regular price. And that's even with things that aren't necessarily correlated. Uh, yeah, it's not like threes and points. It's it. something like his free throw attempts and blocks. They would still. Oh, and that, but, but that I even understand more because at least it's, it's cor they're correlated with his minutes. Yeah. It's Asar Thompson rebounds and Joel Embiid points, and, and they're they're basically charging you. A, let's say it's on average like minus one twenty five a leg. Again, it's just a guess, but and but they would never show a minus one twenty five each side because that would be embarrassing. But with SGPs, you can hide it because on a parlay, like you basically, I, I, sure, le you legally have to. Just multiply the odds, or else it's you have to call it something else. And SGPs, you can just say, "Hey, I'm charging for correlation," and you can charge whatever you want. And people are still looking. They're like, "Ooh, two minus one tens." Like you know, Joel Embiid 
over points, and then Tobias Harris under rebounds, minus 115. So it should be around plus, you know, 258 or whatever. And instead, it's plus 213. Like, are you kidding me? Plus 213 for, for a minus 115 and a minus 110 that have almost nothing to do with each other? Like, do you think that, they're able to get away where, with this because there's so little competition outside of the books? And when I say that, I mean, I grew up betting on like random websites with like the local bookie. Mm-hmm. And so there was never same game parlays. And as they've started to update those sites, the same game parlays are just not that not nearly as dialed in or have as many options as FanDuel and DraftKings. So they're kind of the only place to shop for those. And it's not like the underdogs, sleepers, prize picks of the world are forcing them to give better lines because even on no, those, a two-play yeah, yeah. two is just 2x. They call it 3x, but one of those yeah. three is just you getting your money back. So you are getting more value. Even though the 213 is pretty bad value, you're getting more value than you get on the daily fantasy sites with just that just give you the flat 2.0. Yeah, I think that's a good thought. My guess is it has more to do with People, when they're just, they just assume that you're getting the two odds that you see underlying and then multiplied because that's how it works with parlays. That's how it works with basically all bets. And on most sites, that's how basically it works with your SGPs, like I showed with Caesars. But so FanDuel was like, okay, people are just going to see, oh, I like Joel Embiid over and I like Tobias Harris under. And they're just assuming they're getting fair odds for it. Most people in their minds, can't say, oh, this should be plus 257, and I'm getting plus 213, which is hilariously lower, sadly lower. I don't think that most people are, are making that connection. I think that FanDuel is betting on people not making that connection. So they get away with it. Like They can never get away with showing minus 125 on both sides, but they can get away with multiplying a minus 110 and a minus 115 in a way that doesn't multiply to even close to what those underlying odds are. And I think it's kind of a joke that they can kind of hide behind, you know, the correlation as something that's relevant. Like, oh, we're not sure what the correlation is. So we have to make sure that all four sides are treated as positive correlation. I mean, that's what they're doing. Like with the outside, with Tobias Harris, whatever, like with any of these four-way things, none of them get to plus 264. It's plus 213, plus 244. Uh, plus 225 and plus 223, right? So when you're when they're doing that again, this is close to that plus 225, plus 230 average. How could you possibly justify not having a single SGP be above plus 244 in a four-way thing? You can't say, oh, well, we actually have in the SGP and beads unders higher than his overs, or Tobias Harris leaning one way or the other. Like you can't do that because you didn't have a single one even close to what two minus one tens would look like. So that that's really where I get tripped up with the stuff and why I'm doing the rankings because you end up with people who, the worst thing for me is when people just assume, and it's not their fault, they should assume, that they're getting reasonable odds for a play that they like. And I've seen it a ton of times where they're like, oh, I, I found both of these on you know Odds Jam or whatever, like some line shopping service. And they both look good for Caesars. So I SGP'd them together. And more often than not, I get questions like, hey, 
why would you do that Caesars SGP when you know Caesars has the worst odds for such and such player? And that's just because I'm actually looking what the odds churn out. And so for whatever promo, I'm picking those lines not because of an odd shopping tool, but because the underlying odds for ESPN Caesars don't match the odds that they show, which which is all fine. It just has nothing to do with with the line shopping thing. Now FanDuel generally uses their own lines, but they just nerf the crap out of it. And people assume that they're getting the odds displayed, but instead they're getting, you know, heavily depressed odds. And it's, you know, so they should know, hey, if I want to just make a regular parlay and I want to do Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris rebounds or whatever, like something on the Sixers game, I know instead of getting plus 244 for the overs, I can get plus 300 on Caesars. Instead of getting, you know, for under over, I'm getting plus 275 instead of plus 223. So that's just big. Like that's just aggressively charging for correlation. I think that they think they can get away with it because people assume they're getting the right odds. Yeah. I mean, you said it's not criminal. I won't call it criminal, but it does feel like something that... Yeah, it just feels shady and it feels like there's no real way unless people are calculating. You just click on the two bets, press enter, and then it pops out a number and you just assume that that they're a trustworthy source. So you kind of just... Yeah, FanDuel's the leader. It's DraftKings. They're the leader in this stuff. Like, why would they, why would they basically say to all of their customers, we are so unsure what the correlation is between Joel Embiid points and Tobias Harris rebounds that we are going to treat every possible iteration of it as if there's a lot of positive correlation, right? Like, oh, like, really? You can't figure that out? Also, it's very small. I can tell you that the, that the correlation between Tobias Harris rebounds and Joel Embiid points is very small because they have little to do with each other. And you don't need all four sides positive correlation. I can tell you that because that should never be the case. It makes no sense. And FanDuel, you were smarter than that. So my suggestion is if you have minus 110s everywhere, every every single that are basically uncorrelated, every single side should be above plus 240, in my opinion. Uh, and if you want to charge a little bit for correlation, I'll let it go. I'm going to give places like MGM and ESPN and Canby credit, even though they charge for correlation. Because, you know, as a trader, like when you had more variables that could kind of nip you in the butt, uh, you would charge more for that. That doesn't mean that you can go crazy with it and be stupid about it. And, you know, like, you know what you need to charge for that. And those other places do it at a very reasonable rate. I would like to see DraftKings, but mostly FanDuel sort of join the party there. And I never want to see Joel Embiid over points and then you add like a safe leg rebound and it goes goes from minus one ten to minus one fifteen. That's that's gross. Um, well, on that note, let's take it out to break. Uh, we've got this wasn't uh, grinding my gears, by the way. And I said I said on the last show that I was going to be more positive, but we have some really fun transfer portal talk, and then I do have some I think a little bit lighter uh, grinds my gears conversation to have. Uh, perfect. We'll be right back. Uh, 
On this side of the break, we're talking a little bit of transfer transfer portal season. Um, this is an interesting one. Um, I think we're both on opposite sides of this. Uh, I am definitely not. I think we're both on the same side of the timing of it, kind of ruining bowl season um, and not being good for the college game. But in general, I think that the transfer portal and how often kids are jumping into the transfer portal, transfer portal is definitely diluting the game a bit. Um, and you seem to be on the other side. So talk to me about what you think. So it's the whole, the playoff, especially as we move to the 12-team playoff, and the transfer portal have obviously hurt bowl games, right? The, you know, the Sun Bowl doesn't mean what it used to. <laughs> and it also kind of creates this sort of weird, like a lot of the group of five teams seem to care or like smaller programs seem to care where the bigger ones have a bunch of their guys sit out and like I think they tend to lose more often than they probably should which then like you said kind of dilutes the whole thing right so I agree with that I also don't think that's the biggest deal especially as we move to a 12-team playoff because if we're being honest most people just like to have football on for the we're calling the lesser bowl games and they were really only into the New Year, New Year's Six games and then the playoff. So a 12-team playoff, you know, kind of restores the New Year's Six games as relevant because the teams that would be playing in those will most likely be playing in games that matter even more. So I think that'll be great. I actually think the transfer portal is a great thing. You're seeing kids pop in left and right, and most people are kind of complaining about it. I think it's very cool. Like, you know, you're an 18-year-old, 17-year-old kid. You decide to go to a college. Whether it's for playing time, you want to go back home, like you made some mistake and you want to transfer. So that's like kind of one, one type of kid that wants to transfer. There's the, the group of five kid that spent three, four years at, call it Coastal Carolina, threw 49 touchdowns and 14 picks or whatever Grayson McCall did. And then he's like, you know what? Uh, I want to go play in the ACC for NC State. I saw he just committed today. And I want a big, bigger opportunity. I want some NIL money. I want the NFL to see me. So I think it's great for the first kid and it's great for, for the second kid that I'm talking about. People who are looking for a bigger stage, looking for a bigger opportunity. Now, you may argue it's not great for Coastal Carolina, which is probably true. I think that you have a lot of schools, group of five, but also like the, I, I just remember Pat Narduzzi complaining about it, like the Pittsburghs of the world losing Jordan Addison to bigger programs because it's kind of the easy way to move. But I think overall, like it's good for the kid, right? They have more optionality. Uh, they get to be on a bigger stage. They get more money and they've earned that. They shouldn't be locked in with the school just because of a commitment they made at 17. You know, they, they played hard, they went to class, they did everything right, and they should have the opportunity to switch, just honestly, like any kid does. Um, although, you know, I mean, there's people that they get 4.0 averages at, at, at such and such school, and then they end up, you know, trying to improve the school they go to. Um, it just gets a little less fanfare. And then you have the third player uh, in the transfer portal who goes into it basically like, Either they want to go back home or they're just looking for kind of like a bag. <laughs> people, say, and people say that that's a bad thing, which, yeah, you could argue. But I think, it's, I think the big positive is that it's keeping kids 
like in school as opposed to leaving for the NFL, which really helps the college game. And I think the biggest negative of college basketball is that so many of these players are one and done. It's hard to keep up with the names, whereas in college football, I would argue increasingly so, you have kids returning to school for more NIL money or returning to school to go to a different school because they're going to get a chance at a bigger stage and then try and improve their draft stock. But it doesn't screw them if they get hurt in their senior year. Yeah, there's the whole insurance thing. But really, like, if you can make NIL money, then you don't have to go to the, the NFL before you're ready and stuff like that. And, you know, if something happens, you have a bad year. Uh, but, like, you see a lot of kids go undrafted for trying to get to the NFL too early because they're like, oh, some money's better than none. Now they're making more money in NIL than they are as a six-round pick in the NFL. I mean, there was one report, which is no way it's true, that Marvin Harrison is being offered to stay at Ohio State for similar money that he'd get paid uh, his first year in the NFL, which is no, I mean, I, there's no way it's true. But just that thought, I think, is great for the college game. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I mean, we, I mentioned it at the top, but like it does, if I wanted to talk about the things that I think is, are wrong with the transfer portal, one would be the timing of it uh, being before bowl season and during bowl season, meaning that so many kids don't play in the games and it kind of, this is the thing for college football that drives so much of their media rights. And these games are just a lot less interesting when so many of these kids that got them to the point they're at now aren't going to end up playing in these games because they don't want to deal with injury if they're going to play for a different team next year. So there's that. And then I agree it's good for the kids I just don't know if it's good for the overall product of college football. And there's also another group of kid that you left out. There's the kid that sits on the bench and should be sitting on the bench for a year while he learns the playbook, is probably a little bit too small as a freshman, and then gets to step in to a program where he should thrive, but he's not getting the playing time that he wants, so he gives up and just hits the portal and gets out and goes to a team where maybe his original decision was the right decision had the right infrastructure for him, but he wasn't getting the playing time he wanted. So he transfers out and it kind of just teaches the wrong lesson of like, if things don't work, you don't have to work for it. You just get to, Oh, pick up and go. I didn't get what I wanted. So let me go somewhere else where I'll get it easier. That's, that's a fair point. I I just think that, you know, if you, (laughs) saying that we're giving more options to quit as kind of quit would be a, a harsh term to, to leave as a bad thing. Like it's ultimately up to the young man to put in the work and to whatever. And oftentimes the person that leaves the situation that they should stay in because they're afraid to work probably wouldn't have stayed and worked and made it work anyway. You know, I wouldn't blame the transfer portal because somebody is disgruntled about not getting playing time and not willing to work because like they got to go play somewhere uh, and they have to work to to get there. But I I think the one thing I left out about the college product being improved, like you're talking about it's good for the players, but it's not necessarily good for the product. I mean, how many, I think the worst thing about college football, like when I watch a college football game, it looks similar to me relative to an NFL game, except I think like, you know, receivers run a little bit slower. Maybe their routes are a little less crisp, but like you can't really notice that because the cornerback's a little bit worse right but they're fast they run hard like 
college basketball versus the NBA is a much more visible difference. Agreed. Because it's arguably more, not arguably, it's more of a game of skill. The one position that's truly a skillful position is the quarterback. How many schools are no longer having bad situations at quarterback because they get fixed with the portal? And that's helping the, the game entirely. Like you're seeing way less of like these bigger schools starting, you know, freshmen that they basically that they recruited uh they're too young or guys that they kind of whiffed on that are bust. No, Florida and Anthony Richardson leaves. I'm just gonna go get Graham Mert, who isn't a star. He played very well this year. But now we're gonna have competent quarterback play this year instead of launching someone that isn't ready into to that position. And I think that it you know, you end up with like you think about Justin Fields transferring out because uh, Fromm beat him out. Like Justin Fields should have been starting somewhere. Jake Fromm should have been starting somewhere. Now we don't, we're not wasting Justin Fields on the bench, uh, and we get to see him play in, in a school that would otherwise have a. <laughs> I think he went to Ohio State, who otherwise may have had Tate Martell, who was terrible, playing because they whiffed on a five star. Gets Justin Fields, who's a future number two pick. So I think it helps the product in that way. Yeah, it's interesting that your first example was Florida against Grab Mertz, who to me, as a Wisconsin grad, feels like the biggest bust of all time. Well, Wisconsin Wisconsin's not used to getting those high four-star, low five-star kind of guys. And because they've done so well with the low four-star, high three-star kind of guys, it's like there's this assumption that of course, we're going to hit on this kid, but he had a very good year for Florida, and Florida was awful. Um, but I used him as an example because it doesn't always have to be the Justin Fields that transfers. It doesn't always have to be the Jalen Hurts that goes to Oklahoma. And by the way, Jalen Hurts would be the perfect example of why the portal's good. Oklahoma, we get to, we got to watch Jalen Hurts play at Oklahoma. Now he, you know, he's playing in a Super Bowl a few months ago. Instead of riding the bench behind Tua. Yeah, no, there's definitely some situations that... Right? When you have star players on the bench at a school, I mean, Joe Burrow was the same thing. You you want to free those players up. I don't know. I don't really know if there's a one-size-fits-all answer to this, but I'm going to keep us moving because we were, we're running a bit long. You wanted to talk about the five schools you would go to if you could go visit anywhere... Um, and you were a kid coming out of Coastal Carolina right now who had a great season, ready to transfer to a Power 5 school. What five schools are you visiting? Power 4 now, RIP the Pac-12. So, yeah, I thought this would be a fun exercise. I think for transfer portal people specifically, you know, high school kids, you're probably less thinking about, like, you're, you're more thinking about who's going to develop me uh, and like positional coaches and bigger coaches and, you know, path to playing time, all that stuff. For the transfer portal, you're 22 years old, you're 23 years old. You are already very good in this hypothetical. Like you can go anywhere you want. Where do you want to be for a year? To set you up for the rest of your life, set you up for success for that one year, like whatever you prioritize, where would you go? And I, I you know, it's been, I think it's kind of a fun conversation. So. My schools, I would go to Georgia. I think that you at least have to visit Georgia and, you know, the path to the NFL, path to a national championship, eyeballs, development. I mean, you know, I think that's a no-brainer. If it's a one-year thing, then I'm looking at Alabama too, for the same reason. If you're not at one of those two, 
then I start really opening it up because, okay, who's number three? Like Michigan is definitely somewhere I'd consider. Probably pretty position dependent there. I don't love the cold. <laughs> uh, and I don't know if Jim Harbaugh's there, which would probably be the big question for me. But then you have like, would I go to LSU or whatever? And, and I think that those are all great. Like Florida State, that you know they you know I think they should have been number three, but I don't think I'd end up at like Florida State. Like, do I really want to be twenty three year old in Tallahassee? Like, I don't know. Doesn't seem as appealing to me as say my third school, USC. You get to live in LA. You definitely have like the big TV exposure, the big market. Like the NIL deals have to be great out there. And even if you had, it's it's also a very good academic school. But like even if you had. Not a great year. I feel like it sets you up so well for life after football, just in terms of being in LA, the connections you make, being a star USC football player. I think that like I would much rather, as a 23-year-old kid, live in LA, and it probably sets you up better than going to like Auburn or, like I said, like Tallahassee or Gainesville. Not to mention, it seems like a lot more fun. <laughs> so similar mindset. Uh, my number four would be Miami. I saw a picture of uh, Cam Ward, who's like one of the the big quarterbacks in the portal, visiting uh, Miami, and he was at Prime One Twelve last night, and like Rick Ross was there, or whatever. And I'm sure they went out to like some cool places, and it's freaking December, and it's gorgeous out, <laughs> and like you get to live in Miami and make all of those connect. I mean, it's the same argument as USC, uh, in my opinion where just like setting yourself up for NIL and life after football. If you're, if you're a star at any of these places, like I, I agree, it's hard to pass up Georgia Bama, but like Florida State who beat Miami by seven this year, all this stuff is so cyclical. Like you don't really know who's going to be outside of like Georgia and Bama, like you know are going to be great. And Ohio State, I would argue as well. Uh, and I'm sure Michigan will be very good too, but you know, it's kind of hard to, to say, oh, I'm not going to go to Miami because they weren't as good as Florida State this year. When one one of those, you're a 23 year old kid living in Tallahassee, and the other one, you're you know you're living in Miami, going to the Prime 112, and you know meeting all these people, and there's a bunch of business people. You know, Miami and Chicago and LA, like are some of the bigger like business places that aren't New York because there's no teams here. So I think just setting yourself up would be uh, USC and Miami at three and four, and then I think I went Texas. You know, you don't want to go to a place because they fill up, you know, the game day environment's awesome. Realistically, that's six days for your whole life. But Texas is now, in my opinion, you know, one of the top teams and they will be year in, year out. You get to live in Texas. You get to live in Austin. Like, it's a really cool college town. It's such a big brand where you're going to get a ton of eyeballs. And like, I think it has some of the positives that USC and Miami do. Plus, I don't like the cold, so I'm gravitating towards the warm places. But without, but you also get some of that Georgia Bama, in my opinion, and what they're turning into in terms of, like, they're probably the number three football program, or they're arguably the number three football program going into next year. So I think it has some of the positives of each of the top four. So Texas is my fifth. I was considering Ohio State and Michigan. The cold kind of scares me, to be honest. So that's why I went with those five. Yeah, I don't think the cold necessarily scares me off, considering my number one would be heading to Colorado to team up with Coach Prime, without a doubt. 
if we're talking about future success and eyeballs <sighs> and current success and just the full college experience, I think that it's kind of a no. Did you just say current success? <laughs> yeah, I said current success. So, okay, well, they they won four games this year and got embarrassed most weeks. It's, uh, that isn't exactly, like, yeah, USC and Miami won, like, I don't know, 15 games between them. So, like, seven and eight or seven and seven, something like that. Uh, they each went, like, seven and five-ish. But those teams weren't embarrassed. Maybe USC's defense was, and maybe Cristobal forgot to kneel. But otherwise, like, they were very competitive week in and week out. Colorado was not. You do not. That's a miserable experience. And how many of those kids are getting yeah, drafted? They, were, they, they started the season so well, and they have a really strong foundation. They're just missing maybe like one What piece. is their really strong foundation? Shador Sanders? Travis Hunter? Yeah, they got and two I, I think they have, they've built an energy around that program that people want to go play for. So they'll be getting me and a bunch of other five-star recruits like myself. Right. And I think that's – I think that they had all the skill players they needed – um, they just kind of didn't really have it in the trenches to hang with some of the schools that have been recruiting at that level for a much longer time. Give him a few years to n- not just show up in the transfer portal with the guy- boys from Jackson State. Uh, give him a few years to build that program and see if I'm wrong. Okay, I hear you. I mean, look, they've done as well as anyone in the portal. So, uh, well, that's not true, but they've done very well in the portal. And recruiting-wise, uh, since Dion's been there. So, you know, other people see the appeal as well. Go ahead. What are your other four? I'll have to go. I only think I have a top three. I would want to go Colorado, USC, and Wisconsin. Okay. USC, I imagine, for similar reasons that I sold out. Is there anything you wanted to add there? Yeah. No, no nothing really to add. I, I think USC sells itself being in L.A., having opportunity to win now and set yourself up for – future success, uh, whether it's in the NFL or otherwise. And then Wisconsin is just a program that I've always loved. Right. And you, uh, I mean, you went to Wisconsin, so, so I understand that. So I, I think that's a bit of a no-brainer for me. And, 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 and no, no, no four and five? Bama, Georgia? Honestly, I don't need to go to Bama or Georgia. I would rather go to one of the SEC teams that pops up every now and then. And gives them a run for their money. I would rather go to an Auburn or LSU. I think that when those teams have success, it does feel a little bit more special. And the country can kind of get behind those teams a little bit more. I think no one, everyone really wants to root against the Death Star that is Alabama. Everyone sure. wants to root against the perfection that is Georgia. It'd be a lot more fun to be on one of those Odell Beckham, LSU, Joe Burrow, LSU teams where there's just a lot of hype and everything's going right and you are toppling the powers that be in the SEC or those Cam Newton, Auburn teams, even going further back, like the Tim Tebow, Florida era. But I think at that point, Florida was kind of the powers that be in the SEC. Honestly, any place Urban Meyer goes becomes becomes that and... Yeah, so I think if I had to choose an SEC team, I'd probably go uh, Baton Rouge, number one, and I'd probably choose Auburn, number two. I like LSU. They're, they're, they're definitely up there. I, I just I feel like, you know, as a, I guess I was thinking more about, like, gravitating towards, like, places to be. And New Orleans is very cool, so like LSU is definitely in my top whatever. The Auburns and Ole Misses, I, you know, 
you kind of miss me with it because you're kind of just another SEC team. Like you're not getting, I don't think you're getting like a ton of eyeballs in the same way that like USC, Texas, Miami kind of get uh, when they're good, right? Like people aren't going nuts for Ole Miss when they're eight and up. They're like, oh, that's that's cool. Like, you know what I mean? That's how I feel a little bit about it versus like when USC's eight and no, it's a big deal. Miami's eight and no, it's a big deal. I would say when Florida State's eight and no, it's a big deal, but I guess it wasn't. <laughs> anyway, so cool. Let's move on to the grinds my gears. Let's do it. What's uh, what's got you worked up this week? You know what really grinds my gears? Yeah, this one we had a lot of options for. Uh, I was first going to do Draymond with the punch. I thought that my first thought on him is I don't I don't know how old he is. He's got to be like 33, 34 at this point. Like, what is he doing? Punching people and kicking people in the like. Punching his own teammate, like all this stuff he's doing, it's kind of insane. Like he's he's clearly a very smart guy, and it doesn't look like it's rage fueled. So it's hurting his team. I know that because they've won, it kind of has the reputation. And like I think Draymond has been a huge part of them winning. But I think at this point, it's kind of like a going out sad kind of a vibe. And it did cost them arguably a championship when he got suspended in 2016. But I don't know. That was going to be my first grind to my gears, and I am curious to hear your thoughts on it. Then the Jokic ejection, because it probably cost us a nice hit yesterday, which we never like. But the grind to my gears became obvious when Marco Parlay, uh, I've seen his like big tickets before where he, he has like... Marco, this is Marco Piamente? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he has like, you know, crazy $100,000 bets on DraftKings and BR betting like shows them and they root for them with him. So I've seen him before, but he came out yesterday, I think it was yesterday, and said, I'm starting a $1,000 a month Discord where I am not giving out picks. It's going to be a group chat for people who also spent $1,000 a month to discuss their bets. It's just going to be basically a $1,000 a month group chat. And he just keeps the money. And it's honestly the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, I think that it is everything that's... It's sort of why I'm embarrassed to tell people what I do for... You know, I work in sports betting because there's people like him that are mucking up my good name because they are literally asking to get paid to do nothing and to offer no value and not only that, but it's $1,000 a month. And when he was basically getting cooked in the replies, and the replies were hilarious, he said something like, on my last podcast episode, the wins added up to $15 million. Well, first off, you're not giving out picks, so not sure why that matters. Second off, you can't just add up the wins. Like, what are we doing here? If you want to show me like track bets, send me your spreadsheet, send me your action app, send me your picket. Like I don't, but I honestly, I wouldn't believe it anyway, just because of how much money he can get down at these places. But honestly, just like you're adding up your wins. If you bet a million dollars a bet and you make 50 bets, sure, your wins could total 15 and your losses could total 25 and you lost $10 million. Like, but you're not even giving up picks anyway. So I don't know why I'm having this conversation because it's irrelevant. 
because you are not giving out picks. You are just making a group chat. And it's like you and your friends, except for if your friends paid you $1,000 a month. I, I think this is indefensible, but I'm sure you're going to try and defend it. I don't really think it's all that defendable. Uh, I goofed around in our pre-production meeting saying I think I could. Uh, I compared it to a Soho house of you pay a large entry fee just to have like the infrastructure of access to other like-minded wealthy people who like to gamble at high levels and uh, Ideally, I think the only way to even begin to justify the price tag on a group where he's providing zero value is that you're getting access to other people who hopefully are providing value themselves. So he's doing absolutely nothing. He's just saying, hey, here's a forum. And I assume anyone gambling at this level has some level of inside information. So here you go. Here's your open marketplace that's kind of like secluded to just us that gamble in the hundreds of thousands and are rich enough to throw away a grand just to be able to share that info with others. Right. I mean, honestly, if you had inside info, why would you pay $1,000 to give it out? Right? Like the first person that signs up for it, I assume someone has, but man, it's hard to imagine someone dumb enough to sign up for this. The first person that signs up for it is getting absolutely nothing right? It's just a group chat with yourself and you're paying $1,000. And then the second person you get... There's a 0% chance that he would allow that. There's definitely like at least 15 like bots and burners just existing in there. So when someone joins, they're like, oh, who are these people? People already existing there. Yeah. No, but what I mean is you actually... If he's not giving out inside info or whatever, then... And he did say in one of his video things, something about like, you just want to be with other high rollers who are betting. Maybe they're betting because they have inside info. Maybe they're, maybe they don't, maybe you're on opposite sides, but either way I get a thousand dollars from each of you. He didn't say that last part, but he did say maybe they're betting on opposite sides, but which I, I again, is a very funny thought that they're both paying him a thousand dollars to take opposite sides of a bet. But he, like somebody actually has to have inside info and sign up and give it out. And why would anyone do that? You should be paying them. Like someone has to be providing the service, right? And that doesn't mean that in every subscription-based Discord, whether you go to Kenny's, JD's, um, uh, Ducky, Prop, and uh, Vulture's whole, basically the whole thing is people kind of doing this, but he provides some tools. Or, or mine, like there will always be corners of it where people are discussing plays that they're on. Always. And sometimes, sometimes those plays are good, whether it's good in the sense of EV or it's good in the sense of inside info. I've never really seen that in my Discord, but, you know, maybe. <laughs> uh, or it's good for, you know, a handicapping reason. And someone like JD's like, you know, he does this all the time. He's like, you know, I've loved, I've loved the stuff that this guy's putting out. Um, so I tailed him on this or I made him a cap or like whatever. Okay. That always exists, but the whole basis for people being there isn't for, for that. It's for whatever tools, service, people that you're paying to provide something. And then they just want more and they already have a community and a chat and they, they discuss it with each other. So would I feel any better about this if Marco was, was giving out picks? Probably not. It's still $1,000 a month. And I have no reason to think that he's 
making people money, but at least he'd be trying. At least that would be the, hey, come pay $1,000 for my picks. And if people are dumb enough to pay $1,000 for his picks, okay. What am I, you know, there's plenty of bad, there are plenty of bad bettors out there that people pay money for their picks. $1,000 is a lot, and he might be, in my opinion, particularly bad. But that's not really my business. I, I guess I just really, really grinds my gears. The whole idea, like, he's, like he said himself, that he's going to have people on opposite sides of bet, each paying minus 110, so the Discord loses, right? If, if you add up the profits between those two bettors on that game, it will be negative because they're both playing minus 110 on opposite sides. But he ends up with $2,000 for that month, which is just so much money. So that's, that's, that's going to be the biggest grind to my gears. But there was a lot of material for today, like we said at the top. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a ridiculous grind to my gear. I mean, it's, a, it's the first one that kind of has me worked up, and I think it's insane. And the fact that he's getting people to pay it is crazy. And it definitely does sh- shed a bit of a gross light on the sports gambling world. But what are you going to do? That was a fun show. Yeah, man. Thanks, TPG. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Please rate, review, subscribe, all that, and we'll see you next week.